0: The
1: with Barry and,
0: Chad. and we are back again. Another week has gone flying by. Where on earth does this time go? And now when we are kind of tuning in again, Barry, I have got a brand new pair of glasses and I kind of feel like bit of a hipster. I feel kind of cool. But I do have a not so cool headache that's been throbbing throughout the day because i have kind of adjusting to this new prescription, which I guess is inherent in these kinds of switches.
1: Yeah, you were, you were telling me while you we were offline before you started recording about all the, the, the nooks and crannies of the glasses world I know very little about. And I'm sorry yeah. to hear you got the headache, but those glasses do look fine. I think for anyone listening, this is one you want to go and check out the YouTube, at least for a little bit to so go and check out those new those new pieces. Uh, they certainly make you look like someone from Cape Town. You're sitting in one of those coffee shops on, on the beach.
0: Hey, I will definitely take that. That's kind of kind of what I'm going for, Barry. Uh, I just felt <laughs> like a bit of a change. I don't know. Coming out of this lockdown, I heard today of this acronym, which I love. Uh, BC and AC, we're not talking about before Christ, we're talking about before <laughs> Corona. Um, so this is my sort of AC, um, I don't know, reshuffle. Uh, What's yours?
1: I don't know what mine is, Chad. Like, now you you bring that up, I need to find a new signature look. Clearly, I haven't been mixing it up enough. Um, But it's one of those things. I think, Chad, all you're missing is the man bun. So, you just got to grow out a little bit more hair, get that man bun going, and then you're good I don't know about that. (laughs) Don't you want the man bun? I think the man bun would work, don't you think?
0: Oh, I don't know. I I couldn't have such long hair, Barry. It just would get... It would just bug me. It's too, too much just having this mop <laughs> of hair.
1: Yeah, it certainly is easier when you've got very little. It, it's very, very quick and easy. You don't have to think about it. It really is a different world. I really feel for all those women out there who spend yeah. hours and hours and <laughs> hours every single day dealing with long hair. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I'm very grateful that I don't have to worry about.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's uh, head into our episode, Barry. We're going to just have a nice bit of smooth sailing conversation. How does that sound to you? Sounds good. Let's look at The Week That Was. The Week That Was... So this week, Barry, we had a heck of a lot of things going on. Uh, we've obviously all been super, super busy, uh, but there's quite a few cool things that we wanted to to touch on to chat about this past week. Um, it really feels like a lot of things have just kind of gone full circle and other things have just... Uh, we've just seen some insane stuff that I, I feel like we're not going to see in, in decades uh, on this kind of <laughs> magnitude. It was quite the week, wasn't it?
1: It definitely was. It was one of those things where I think half the world seems to be moving forward from the coronavirus, half the world seems to still be in it. Yep. Um, people are very, very confused as to like how to think and how to react. Uh, so lots and lots of interesting news. And starting off this week, Chad, with with 5G, that new cell phone technology that is really like talking, talked about all around the world. Yep. And the amount of conspiracy theories around this technology is crazy. Yeah. Every single day it feels like you wake up and all of a sudden there's a new theory about how this <laughs> technology is either causing the virus or stealing your data oh, or doing all sorts of things to your body. And uh, you can go and watch lots of YouTube videos about guys talking to you about how this is the giant conspiracy of them all, Chad. And uh, it's a bit strange for me.
0: <laughs> Where does it come from? Where does this notion come from? We've seen, uh, you know, all these generations of data and, and every generation comes with, you know, much quicker speeds. Um, obviously they all have these very complex names. But why is 5G the one? Why is 5G the one that everyone's deciding to settle on um, with all of these crazy conspiracy theories? I know it's much quicker, but I mean, if you think about 4G I can still get like 120 meg per second on my phone, on my iPhone Uh, with 4G. it's, It's definitely not a slow protocol. Why is this now the one where everyone starts to introduce these kinds of notions?
1: The funny thing, though, is Chad, all the people making these conspiracies probably don't even understand what 5G is, yep. right? Or doesn't even understand the fact that it's just a faster form of 4G and that 4G is already very good uh, as it is. And so yep. there's such a lack of understanding as to what this technology is going to bring to the world and what, what it's different from its predecessors. And for some reason, it's just become this kind of hotbed for this r- r- lots of conspiracy talk. I don't actually know why. It's one of those things that I think it's... It's that unknown and that uncertain at the moment that a lot of people don't understand what it is. And therefore, it's easy to latch on to some random, crazy idea.
0: Absolutely. And I guess what hasn't helped its messaging is uh, Trump deciding you know, that because of the fact that Huawei are rolling out lots of infrastructure, and obviously there's been a lot of you know, beef with, with China, um, ultimately... He's you know, not helping the message and kind of getting as many nations as possible to, to ban Huawei from uh, putting their infrastructure in their countries. I, I feel like that has probably not helped.
1: I don't think it has, but I think it's a little bit unfair to blame Trump for this. I think <laughs> that we, a lot of countries around the world are very skeptical of China's usage. Yeah. Of course, Huawei is like a huge Chinese company that has a huge reach across the whole world. They are one of those technology companies that are really kind of spreading into every country you can think of. And uh, with with China comes all these concerns about privacy, about data collection, about all these different things. We chatted about TikTok last week and how that's yeah. uh, got its own privacy backdoors. that people are worried about. And 5G and Huawei are exactly the same thing. And and so I don't think it's fair to blame. It's purely on Trump. Of course he's going to use it for his political gain. Of course he wants to use it in this in this way. But this is one of those theories that is mo- leaning more towards the true side than the conspiracy theory about creating the virus or something crazy like that, right? The, China has shown in the past they do like collect data where they shouldn't and their whole system is based on this mass surveillance type idea. Mm. And so if they are using Huawei to kind of infiltrate the various cities around the world and collect data about the users and about the people in those countries, I wouldn't be surprised chad
0: yeah, no, that's fair enough. I, I guess you never know with these kinds of things. The thing that I found really interesting this past week is the, the U-turn, the 360-degree turn that I saw, at least on my <laughs> side of the pond here in the UK, um, where for a little while, Boris was kind of going gung-ho, not listening to Trump. He was keeping Huawei and all of their infrastructure here, subject to a few limits. I remember there was a cap, and we've we've unpicked it quite a bit on the podcast. But this has now been changed. This week, it was announced in Parliament that by 2027 all of Huawei 5G kit needs to be removed and obviously that gives quite a bit of time, I mean seven years to remove all the infrastructure, Um, surely you still leave yourself open to whatever this perceived risk is until then part of me wonders whether this was only done just to please the other nations, obviously uh, the US and UK have strong relations
1: Yeah, it's a difficult one to kind of unravel Chad, because like you say that seven year gap, who knows what can happen in those seven years and 2027 feels very far away, but at the same time this infrastructure is so densely integrated into all the various communication platforms and whatnot that run all these major cities. So it's very hard to just decide one day, okay, I'm just going to pick these things up and pull them out and replace them with something else, right? These things take time. And So I think a lot of the countries are are trying to avoid the dependence on China. I think what this coronavirus has shown everybody is that in these kind of bad situations. You don't want to be dependent on a country or dependent on an economy. You want to be self-sufficient. And I think one of the worries beyond the privacy, Chad, seems to be the idea that we want kind of local infrastructure that isn't dependent on somebody else. And so Huawei is one of those examples where they might give you really good technology at really good prices, but what are you giving up in being dependent on somebody else when things go bad?
0: Sure, sure, and that's a really important point to raise, especially when we've spoken about this kind of de-globalization idea that we're starting to see rear its head, uh, where everyone you know, initially loved all of the benefits that came with globalization, but as soon as you got these borders shutting down, all of a sudden, not such a great idea. I really wonder when something like this happens, whether the effects are going to roll on and eventually affect your and my pockets um, when you know the not-so-cheap, providers are being used.
1: Yeah, that's the thing, right? Globalization offers you this very, very cheap product because you can kind of take advantage of the specialization around the world. Yep. And that's what China has done so well. By having super cheap labor, super cheap parts, they've been able to kind of dominate the electronics market for a long time because you can produce something in China for a fraction of the cost than you can in California or in London or wherever yep. it is. And so, like you say, like when the costs come to roost, then then you'll find out where the real intentions lie, right? And then you'll see what the real policy is. So I wouldn't be surprised, Chad, if we see another U-turn in the years to come. I'm not very confident that this will stick around forever. I think Huawei are going to try and challenge this, I'm assuming, because I'm assuming it's quite a big part of their revenue stream. Um, And so it's going to be an interesting battle to watch. I I wonder what what precedent this sets for future Chinese Western-type collaborations.
0: Yeah, absolutely fascinating. We'll definitely have to wait and see. And uh, I really do hope that our data prices here don't change because, I mean, so <laughs> far, like just got fantastic, these fantastic packages, really inexpensive. Um, I mean, we spoke about the uncapped data package that I have at the moment.
1: You were bragging um, about it, Chad. You were bragging about it. And so hopefully it doesn't turn around <laughs> and you have to eat your words. eh?
0: <laughs> I hope not. Well, the one thing that is really good about being committed in a contract is it's, it's hard for these prices to go up once you've locked in, locked yourself into a nice long contract period. Um, but that's not impossible. So let's hope that that does not change. Anyway, Barry, I'm rambling a little bit. <laughs> Something huge happened this past week and you and I could not stop back and forth thing about it on WhatsApp. And It's really... I I still can't wrap my head around it. Uh, What was it?
1: Super bizarre situation, Chad. I remember I was lying in my bed. I was about to go to sleep. (laughs) And uh, one of those bad habits I get into, I always check my social media before I go to bed. Terrible idea, but uh, I don't know why I do it. But I still do it sometimes. And I was going through my Twitter and all of a sudden I saw lots of chaos um, about some sort of hack within Twitter. And so I was like, "Oh, this looks interesting," and I started like checking some of the things. And then a a tweet came up from our good friend Elon Musk, that (laughs) that 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 mercenary, that absolute innovator that we all love so much. Sometimes
0: also very close to having his own jingle.
1: Oh yes, oh yes. (laughs) (laughs) We're gonna have the Kanye jingle. We're gonna have the (laughs) Elon jingle. It's coming. It's coming. Don't you worry. Um, but yeah, Elon, Elon tweeted out that he's giving away some free Bitcoin, which is always, always an interesting <laughs> thing to hear about. And so basically the tweet came out was saying that if you sent this address, Elon's address, uh, supposedly, this number, this amount of Bitcoin, he'd send you back twice your money. Which, f- for me, Chad, is a really, really good deal. I mean, to give free money like that is is amazing. So Barry
0: then propelled himself out of his bed, not just from looking at social media, but logged onto his wallet. And of course, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it, it's tempting Chad it's tempting. It, it's the kind of thing Elon would do that's the scary part yep, like for yep. Elon it's the kind of thing he might do um, but of course it seemed too good to be true and so you're looking into it what happened apparently was that there were these hackers that got into a bunch of very very high profile verified accounts and were then sending out this Bitcoin scam to all of the followers now the names that they got into Chad were crazy yep. and this was simultaneous right so all at the same time so let me read you some of these names Former President Barack Obama. Insane. Elon Musk. Kanye West, potential future president, (laughs) Joe Biden, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Kim Kardashian, Michael Bloomberg, Uber, the actual company account, Apple, the company account. Just to name a few. Right? So lots and lots of big names. And they were all tweeting out this Bitcoin scam. And Chad, it freaked out. Everyone at Twitter. Yeah. People were losing their minds because all of a sudden, all these high profile verified accounts were hacked at the same time. It was crazy nuts
0: nuts nuts when you mention all of those names like especially you know ex-president Barack Obama we talk about Apple the actual company it's just insane and all of these accounts that were hacked simultaneously were all blue ticked accounts Um, I just couldn't believe it we were kind of back and forth I don't even know what the time was there in South Africa Barry it was kind of like one o'clock in the morning at some stage yeah (laughs) Um, but Barry just kept saying to me This is this is extra account, this extra account, this extra account, and I just could not believe it. Um where have you seen a sort of mass high profile level hack um that happened like this simultaneously um on, on such a big platform like Twitter um ever? I can't remember one, Chad.
1: I can't remember where there's been a simultaneous one like this. We've seen some yep. high-profile hacks of individuals, right? Sure. So there's been lots of scandals about people whose, whose nudes get hacked and they get shared all over the internet and all yep. that good stuff. But I've never seen a, a coordinated, sophisticated attack like this that attacked a bunch of accounts. Uh, according to Twitter's investigation, it looks like about 130 accounts were, were targeted sure. and they managed to get into 45 of them. So it is a, like a lot, of, a lot of coordination to get it right. And it's one of those things where... The theory goes that the only way they were able to do it, Chad, was to go through some sort of Twitter employee itself because to get all those passwords and all those accounts from various people would have been heroic. right? Yep, yep. But if you go through some sort of employee who has admin rights maybe or has access to a database that they shouldn't have, etc., etc., I think that's how they got in. But no one quite knows at this point.
0: I mean, that point alone is incredibly worrying. The fact that your account can be accessed by some person who has admin level rights. I mean, it seems reasonable. We're talking about a website and somebody's maintaining a website that has a database. But at the same point, we're also talking about individuals we're talking about privacy we're talking about you know all of the expectations that you would have over your username your password and access to your account and so for me if it was just a a matter of getting into one super user's profile who was able to then allow the hackers to get access to all these extra accounts that's pretty worrying in itself.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's one of those things where I don't quite understand because as far as I know how these things work, the actual passwords are encrypted in the in the Twitter database, right? So right. the idea is that even Twitter shouldn't be able to see your password, theoretically. So I don't quite understand how they pull this off, to be honest. It's one of those things where we're going to have to like look and see what flaws or what loopholes they got in, and, and maybe Twitter's got some some backdoors that we don't know about, and it'll come out in the wash as we look through this. But it's one of those things where it is very worrying for a Giant platform like Twitter, like Twitter is incredibly influential. If we look at just how Donald Trump runs his life on that place, um, it's very, very influential. And to lose that kind of control is very worrying. What yeah. I found funny, Chad, was there were a few, let's call them, um, <coughs> wannabe celebrities or wannabe influencers, <laughs> who who were a bit hurt that they weren't important enough to be <laughs> hacked. And so there was this, there was this meme going around. That some people oh were copy-pasting gosh. the message and tweeting no. it out themselves no. to pretend that they were important enough to have been <laughs> hacked by the hackers. And that Surely just made not. me chuckle because that's when humanity loses their minds.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. At what point do you you know, you let your ego um, actually further the cause of somebody who's doing <laughs> nefarious things? It's ridiculous. I, I can't believe that. Um, but I mean, the most scary thing here, Barry, is obviously you know, human race is gullible. And uh, there are scammers out there because there are an equal amount of people who are willing to fall for scams. And you told me yep. about this fascinating, fascinating YouTube channel where you actually watch a guy who deliberately goes out and scams people. Um, and obviously there's a kind of, there's a few different reasons why he does it. You you explained, um, you know, him actually kind of empathizing with the hackers a little bit when he gets to know their backstories, but equally also trying to just, really cheese them off by spending as much possible time on their hack or on their scam as possible. And so for me, let's talk about how many people actually fell for this. How much money did these hackers walk away with?
1: So based on the Bitcoin address, you can obviously see the public ledger because everything is, right. is visible. That's that's the beauty of Bitcoin. And so what they've seen is that I think there's 120,000 US dollars that have been transferred to this account Phew. in that like 20, 20 minute period. Wow. Apparently there were 375 payments. So roughly probably 375 people, I'm assuming. Okay. And one of those being a big whale, there was a guy in Japan who sent 40,000 US dollars. What the A real, what really heck? guy. But <laughs> he was obviously hoping to make a good payday and get get back his 80k, <laughs> and uh, that is gone forever, oh right? So, B- Bitcoin is one of those things that's very hard to regulate, and so I don't think they're gonna get that money back, Chad. Sure. So for 20, 30 minutes of work, 120k, uh, not bad.
0: Insane, just crazy. You mentioned that potentially they may have identified the, the group of people who did this. Um, and there's a little bit of speculation about their, their kinds
1: of profiles? Yeah, definitely. So, of, of course, everyone went to overdrive trying to figure out who it was, right? Yeah. And the beauty of these sorts of things is that often it's not about the money for these sorts of hackers. There's some weird, just some weird pride in being able to get into very difficult places, for example. Right. So, there's this whole community of hackers which will hack places and then will kind of use it for bragging rights with their friends. And so what they found was they found a Discord server where people were talking about this attack. And they think that there's three or four guys in that Discord server who are not bragging about it but talking with a lot of detail that they shouldn't have had. Interesting. And that sounds like that's where it is coming from. So as far as I understand, it's coming from a group called the OG Group, which is this this anonymous group of hackers who try and get very um, lucrative Twitter handles. So for example, one character Twitter handle. So at A or at C or at R. And then right. they sell it off for... for for, for a lot of money. And so that's kind of the group that, that they think it is. And so there's four guys that they are looking into from that group. All young guys, Chad. Not organized, not professional scammers, just young oaks in their in their basements probably who are able oh to nice. pull this off. So it makes it even stranger that it was such a, like almost an amateur type hack the fact that they found them so quickly, the fact that the Bitcoin addresses actually led to some sort of personal information and they were able to figure out this Discord server, it shows that they weren't real professionals. Because if you were really professional, you'd have a much better scam, first of all, to make more money. Like they could have done a better use of the messaging. And then number two, the trace wouldn't have been able to be found. So I think we're going to find these folks' names in the next few days, Chad. And so I'm looking forward to seeing like, who they are and why they did this.
0: Yeah, fascinating. I'm I'm definitely keen to hear more about that, and I'm keen to to see whether there's going to be any kind of legislative um, you know rebound from this event happening on Twitter's side. Um, I'm keen to see whether someone's going to have to sit in Congress for this kind of event, like Mark Zuckerberg did, <laughs> um, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, it's absolutely fascinating to me. And when you talk about these hackers that you know have this personal pride, and I've actually heard stories of guys going outside of like big banks, or financial institutions hacking into the, the bank while they're standing outside there, walking in and saying, give me a job. I you know, broke through your infrastructure. And those kinds of stories for me are just crazy.
1: Yeah, I think it's called white hat hacking as far as mm-hmm. I understand. And it's the idea that, that you do it not out of malice, but right. out, but in a way to prove this hole and so they can go and fix it. So as far as I know, there are some banks that will pay people to hack in. So they'll, they'll okay. give you some sort of bounty or some sort of reward to these hackers for finding a loophole. Because obviously if they find it and they can fix it, then the actual malicious hackers can't use it. Sure. So there's a whole interesting community and kind of subculture in the hacking community between these white hat hackers, which are these semi-ethical guys <laughs> who try and, (laughs) like look for holes versus the black hat hackers who are the ones who are trying to destroy things and steal money and that sort of thing. And so, you hacking is a fascinating subculture because it's become so relevant in our day-to-day lives and it's something that most people know nothing about, Chad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's absolutely terrifying. Um, I found a website uh, a while back. One of my accounts actually got hacked and the particular service that this was actually sent me an email to say, here's a database that you can actually type in your email address And it will kind of let you know of all of the various leaks that your email address and password were included in um, over the last couple of years. And I found it fascinating. Here this email address is with a password that I had been using. And here it was, uh, exposed. Isn't it terrifying? Isn't it terrifying to see all the places that it is? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely terrifying. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I um, mean, it's one of those things that just prompts you right away to drop everything and make sure that you kind of leave no stone unturned, change every single password. I'm still convinced that we need to spend a lot more time being intentional about our passwords.
1: It, it's it's so important. There's, there's way too many people who have the same password for everything, from their yeah. online banking right to their TikTok accounts, And it's a disaster waiting to happen, right? It it's, it's yep. really is waiting for disaster to strike. You have to use some sort of password manager or some sort of kind of very strong list of passwords for different yep. services that really make sure that you don't get hacked in that way. So, especially for your banking and the very, very important stuff, right? For our social media accounts, we're not as influential yet, Chad, sure. as to when that becomes <laughs> a real problem. But one day we will be. But for the moment, sure. things like our banking passwords and things like personal information, we have to have better passwords then admin123, or password, or your birthday, or any <laughs> of the nonsense people use because they think yep. they're going to forget their password. And it's one of those things where people are scared to forget it. They don't want to write it down for some reason. But like, you're much more likely to get hacked online because your password is weak than for someone to break into your house and find the password you've written on your post-it note and then you hack you right yep. and so it's worth making it a very very strong password and then having a list of them somewhere that you can refer to if you feel like you're going to forget it but if you're going to have the same password for every single service it's just a matter of time
0: yep and that's a completely good point there Barry and I'm you know I kind of understand those who do not want to write their passwords down you know coming from an audit background <laughs> um, you know oh, yeah. it's kind of textbook stuff where you go to a client for example and the client has you know pulls out the the top drawer it's unlocked and in the drawer there's all the passwords to the various accounts and whatever the case is (laughs) and maybe because of that it's it's been conditioned like to not write it down but you're completely right Um, what are the chances especially when you talk about your personal residence or anything like that what are the actual chances and like you said the likelihood of getting hacked is much higher and for me when i type my email address in onto this uh, database i was definitely surprised because a lot of these websites that got hacked didn't send me an email. They didn't let me know. And so you might not even know a little service that you signed up for years ago might still, you know, your account may have been hacked there. And uh, these companies, obviously there's legislation now to try and enforce that they do let you know, but some of them just haven't.
1: Yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, once you got hacked once, and they, they, they sell your data, right? Yep. They sell that database to whoever they can sell it to. Absolutely. And so you might only have one kind of vulnerability and one site gets hacked, but all of a sudden, if all your other stuff is exactly the same, they are all vulnerable because that database gets <laughs> sold off. And so it's very important, I think, for everybody. who, If you, if you care about online privacy, and you should, if you care about online yep. security, it's worth spending an hour or two educating yourself about how these things work, first of all, and then spending some time going through your various passwords, especially for the important things and make them stronger than they are today because I know that the vast majority of us are lazy in that regard.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so true and it's, uh, it's one of those where if you don't spend the time, you'll get to a point in time where it's just too late and you wish you would have taken that hour or two hours like Barry says to, you know, just do the forework on that front. Um, but anyway, let's then move on, Barry, to another topic that obviously we've been developing over time and that is the lockdown ease happening here in the UK. Now for me, it just seems crazy. Boris Johnson is talking about November being the date that we kind of return to normal, the date where we actually stop adhering to social distancing. And when he said that, this was kind of earlier in the week, last week, um, You know, I was kind of like, what does he know that we don't? And uh, today it was then announced that there's this great new vaccine that is apparently proving to be very successful. The government's placed 100 million orders of this particular thing. I'm wondering whether that's key to the strategy here.
1: Yeah, you think so. You think that hopefully you have a little bit of uh, foresight as to what's happening in that trial. Of course, they they, they don't they would rather be conservative about like announcing the results because they need to make sure it's working. Sure. But if there's got enough kind of positive sentiment there, then it makes sense that Boris is announcing some of the stuff. I, I know Chad, I get a message every two or three days from you saying <laughs> Boris did this and Boris did that because it, it's it's so strange, right? It's so strange to be to putting a date on this thing. And uh, for, certainly from my perspective, when I look at my friends in London, it really looks like everything's back to normal. It really yeah. feels like you guys have like got past it. And I know it's not quite the case just yet. It's not over just yet. But But you certainly are much further along the road than we are over this side of the pond. Um, And so watching this is interesting from my perspective, Chad, because it it feels like a different universe outside.
0: Yeah, it's definitely not over yet. You're completely right. And for me, I wonder whether some of these moves are are coming prematurely. Um, The the move that was announced this past week was that uh, basically government are not telling you now if you can work from home, you should work from home. They're basically saying, well, employers up to your discretion, can you make the workplace COVID secure, which is the phrase that they keep on using. And if you can, and you feel like it's safe enough, all good. Um, And so basically from a myriad of different employers, I think a lot more people are going to start commuting in, they can now start using public transport. Um, And uh, yeah, basically now it tests the, the theory of whether work from home is going to stick. And uh, I don't know. I actually don't know if it will. I I kind of wonder had it lasted a few months more, um, you know, what various companies may do. But I don't know at this stage.
1: Even if those regulations have changed, though, Chad, do you think people are going to be scared to go back to work? Like, I know you've been going back to work once a week. I think you were. Like, how does it feel to be going back to an office after all of the stuff we've gone through the last couple of months?
0: yeah it certainly feels strange and uh, obviously the the workplace practices are not going to be the same as what you were used to you always have to wear a mask when you're not sitting at your desk um you know every every company obviously has various different measures um but generally you know you're going to have a one way direction traffic flow so if you want to go to the kitchen you know you have to go around various places you maybe didn't have <laughs> to go to before um and so it's definitely a different experience um but In my case, there weren't enough people in there to make me feel uh, scared. Certainly now that the government has changed their messaging, I'm pretty sure a lot more people are gonna feel a little bit more comfortable to come in and certainly employers are going to try and push employees a little bit more than they did before um, and so I don't know actually, I, I don't know what it's going to feel like when we do get there, but it does it does beg the question whether we're going to just have to kind of start to live with all of these different types of measures um, and you know start to reap some of the rewards of getting our economy up and running again.
1: Yep, and hopefully, like you say, it's not too premature. Are you yeah. seeing more people using the subways there, Chad? Is public transport like growing or people still a bit hesitant about that then? Yeah, most of the people
0: that I've actually spoken to are still a little bit cautious. People will take the tubes on the weekends um, because they are just so empty. They are completely empty. Most of the time, you guaranteed a meter or two meter distance because just because of the numbers um, that we're currently seeing. But obviously now that this messaging has changed, which is basically effective from the first of August, um, as soon as you have all of the commuters coming in for work, um, I definitely think it's going to get a lot more busy, and I think people are going to start feeling. A little bit strange by this.
1: It's going to be a very scary moment, Chad, in your yep. first full subway train <laughs> to hear that first cough from somebody. Ooh. That's going to be a very scary moment. <laughs> and I think that person is going to be desperately trying to hold it. <laughs> don't cough. Don't cough. Don't cough because uh, I'm sure people are going to freak out. So it's going to yeah. be, like you say, interesting transition as you try and make it back into normal life. And I look forward to hearing more about like what it looks like. But Chad, let's talk about the vaccine for a moment yeah, because yeah. this is quite exciting if this is the case, it, yeah. if it actually works like it says it does. And like you said, I've ordered 100 million, which is a lot of vaccine. <laughs> and so hopefully if this if this works, it can really be leveraged around the world and, and maybe even give us a little bit of a, a respite if it, if it proves to be as successful. I see yeah. here that it, there's been a trial of over 1,000 people and it seems to be doing okay. Um, do you think a thousand people is enough for us to be confident in this thing? Isn't it a small sample? I don't but, know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it does It does feel like a small sample. But then again, we've heard of much smaller samples. And so I, I guess it depends sure. really on what the metrics are. What, what are the kind of key indicators we've got here? Um, the sort of press briefing that I read this afternoon as we're recording it, uh, Monday the 20th, um, was basically that this New vaccine that's been developed by Oxford University appears safe and triggers an immune response. Now, we spoke a little while about uh, T cells, Barry. About you know, kind of getting your body in a position where it can then fight, and it seems like this is what this vaccine does. So I don't know if it's exactly the same as you know various other vaccines, which maybe give you the antibodies directly, or I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn. Yeah, I'm not a medical professional. Um, but essentially, this, <laughs> this is not medical advice. <laughs> This essentially, um, you know, helps create these antibodies and T-cells that, that in themselves can fight the coronavirus. So, like I said, the government's ordered 100 million um, of these particular vaccines. Um, and the really cool thing here for me, Barry, and if it is the one that goes across the world and blows <laughs> like crazy, is that it's kind of named after me?
1: Oh, Chad, <laughs> Chad I don't know how you, got, how you got this right. I hope they're paying you royalties for the use of your name in this thing.
0: Yeah, so this thing's called Chad Ox N-Cov 19 um, I don't know if if it is gonna be the one, but if it would,
1: if it is, it's gonna be a cool little thing, actually. Oh, Chad! When I saw this, I was like, "Is Chad trolling me? Is he is he making a joke here?" <laughs> uh, but it, it it's it's one of. the... And also, if you look at it's like lowercase, uppercase, <laughs> lowercase, uppercase, <laughs> lowercase. It looks like one of those ways you we we type on Facebook statuses when you were thirteen. Like yeah, that's how people used to type. Remember? I completely it's like a remember. Chad Ox one in COVID nineteen if it is the one, Chad, then we all owe you a debt of gratitude for your naming of this wonderful, <laughs> life-saving device.
0: Hey, I hope so, but I definitely wouldn't be able to claim claim any credit on this at all. And you're completely <laughs> right, with the uppercase-lowercase combination there, that would have been a fairly good troll on my part, but I can't actually take credit for this at this stage because it it wasn't. It's just legit, Barry.
1: It looks like a good password, to be honest, Chad. I think (laughs) you should make it your password going forward.
0: (laughs) Well, now that you've told everyone, Barry, I'm going to have to go and change them all. (laughs) Shall we move on then to our next section, Barry? Let's do it. Stuff I found interesting. So... I just before we hit record button, I asked Barry how his day was, and he really just told me it was such an unproductive one. He literally got through one or two little things, um, <laughs> and you know, whenever Barry says that, I kind of take it with a pinch of salt because I've been trying to get my way through a book for four or five months. I don't even know. Um, I don't know. I just when <laughs> I when I when I start to read a book before I go to bed, Barry, I kind of just start to fall asleep. Um, I start to read sentences five or six times over. How do you do it? Do you read during the day?
1: It's clearly not a good book then, Chad. I think <laughs> that's the problem. If it's putting you to sleep, it's not a good sign. Right? right. A good book is supposed to keep you engaged. And I think I think it's a big thing for a lot of people. I think that people don't quit enough books. Yeah. I, I'm the firm believer that if you're reading a book and it's putting you to sleep, try a different <laughs> one. Like Your life is so short. And there's so <laughs> few books you can read. Don't put up with a book that's putting you to sleep. That That's basically my my, my philosophy. But talking okay. to the, the times of the day, Chad, I think that obviously it's nice to read it at the end of the day, kind of yeah. wind down. I, I try to do the fiction and often we'll, we'll read 10 or 12 pages and then start to fade, like you're saying. Okay. Um, but if you're making time during the day for it and trying to integrate it into your normal kind of routine... Then you shouldn't really be falling asleep, to be honest.
0: <laughs> no, fair enough. And uh, I am guilty of doing it right at the end of the day. Um, you know, in a horizontal position, my body is just taking the cues. Maybe uh, you. Maybe it's. Maybe it's got nothing to do with the subject matter. Maybe it does. I, I don't know.
1: You know what you need to add? You need one of those armchairs that is dedicated for reading. You know one of those old <laughs> armchairs with the leather and kind of the, yes. you know, the whiskey next to you? That's what you need. And 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 that becomes your reading chair. And obviously the tendency is to do the afternoon naps in that chair and you've got to try and avoid that at all costs. <laughs> um, but I yeah, I, I agree. I think that lying down horizontally, your brain's like, okay cool, it's time to sleep, time to, to head off to, yeah. to dreamland. Um, but you've got to find yourself a nice chair, hopefully with some sun in the window somewhere and uh, use that as for, for reading. I would
0: say. I mean, it does sound really good, but you know, when you start talking about whiskey, surely that puts you to sleep in itself. Um, <laughs> anyway, I don't have that kind of armchair, but I do have. I did get a new one. Um, obviously, as we've been working from home, my back was just screaming, aching. Uh, you know, it needed a bit of help, so I've managed to get
1: one that, that reclines. Luckily,
0: look at me go, Barry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For any PewDiePie fans of these, doing the can it do this me, which is, which is great, which is great. <laughs> Chad, I finished a book this week. I finished a book this week, and I've got it here. For anyone who's on video, you'll be able to see it. It's called Thinking Fast and Slow. It is a classic in the world, in the field of psychology, I suppose, mm. and also economics. It's written by a guy called Daniel Kahneman, and we've chatted about him in the past, yep. um, talking about some of his some of his ideas. And so I've been also been reading this for a while, Chad, and I was very happy to finally finish it. It's very very dense. It's one, okay. of, one of those books that is not <laughs> great bedtime reading because it gets your mind going at a thousand miles an hour. But there are so many cool ideas in here, and uh, it's obviously can't do it justice in a few minutes. But what I thought is just talk through one or two ideas that are thought were really cool. The first one is an idea that I find hilarious, and uh, it's it's very true in our world, unfortunately. And it's this idea that the confident, charismatic people who don't know what they're talking about, but can really talk very eloquently and with a lot of confidence, they unfortunately win in this world, Mm -hmm. right? Rather than the people who are more uncertain and more humble about what they know. And it's been a recurring theme for us throughout the podcast the last couple of months, Chad, about this intellectual humility, about being like honest about what you know and what you don't know. And unfortunately, in this world today, confidence beats competence. It's one of those things where in that boardroom, I'm sure you've been in this, in this situation, where oh, yeah. there's someone who's very, very loud and very obnoxious and very forward and they dominate the conversation Definitely. rather than the quiet people. And often the actual knowledge and the actual insights are completely reversed because that person dominates the conversation. Have you felt that in your kind of career so far?
0: I most certainly have. I most certainly have. I think it's unavoidable and not just in the boardroom and not just in the career sense, but whenever you're out at a social gathering as well, you've always got the, the person there who has this... Um, confidence about them. And every single person is just fascinating, just drawn in, I suppose, to, to the conversation. Um, and it's just one of those sad facts, but it is what it is. And ultimately, uh, we all need to kind of up our confidence um, and, you know, try to make sure that we actually do know what we're talking about as well. So that it's not just all talk. Very a silly, silly little thing. I noticed when you pick the book up there, it's got that little orange ribbon down the side. Is that a Penguin book?
1: Of course, Chad. It's <laughs> Penguin. Penguin make the best books. Uh, they're an incredible publisher, and yep. I I don't know why I don't know why, but when I go into a bookstore and I see this orange ribbon, I just assume it's a good book. Like yep. they've done really, really well in their branding and kind of the authors that they represent to give me the confidence that anything with this orange ribbon I think is good. Does that ring true for you?
0: This is the reason why I asked, Barry, because I'm not a massive reader. But the books that I have read, um, which have that lovely orange ribbon down the side, have been good. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, sorry, let me not get us into this random rabbit hole. Um, You can (laughs) can continue talking about the book. But I just found that really interesting. And I guess as a matter of branding um, and as a matter of, I guess, curation of work um, and and signing up the right kind of people, um, I I think that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's it's to give you a little bit of insight into my life, it's a dream of mine to one day have a book with my name on it oh. and this orange ribbon. So watch this space. Hopefully someday you'll be able to buy a Maurice special with that I orange ribbon down I did not downside.
0: know that. I did not know that. I know that Barry has actually written a novel and finished it. Um, and it's on my to-do list to actually go and watch your journey. While you were doing it, you were recording <laughs> vlogs every single day. And they're all there oh, yeah. for everyone to go and watch um, on Facebook, I believe. And I need to go and catch up on this because it seems like a fascinating story um i don't know whether you want to go into that today or we leave it for another episode i am hi- hijacking your review of this of this <laughs> what seems like a fascinating <laughs> book i um, sorry i'm just i'm just like squirrel squirrel just jumping onto the next topic i can
1: it's great chad that that, that is a great story i think we'll, we'll tackle it in in the future right. i think it was a very cringy very cringy vlog series but a very fascinating kind of period of my life where I wrote yep. 50,000 words in 30 days. and it was a crazy experience, one that like drove me to almost insanity, to kind of the brink of insanity. <laughs> um, and that book still still remains unpublished. I, I I one day I will go back and edit it. Yep. It obviously was a, a first like attempt and writing a book is probably one of the most difficult things I've ever tried to do. Yep. And so it is a great story and hopefully one day I'll have one with the orange ribbon.
0: Okay, well let's definitely throw that onto the list for next week, so if you are wondering what you're doing next week, we're going to be chatting about this fascinating story um, of Barry's. Sorry Barry, let's move on.
1: Alrighty, so going back to the book again. So confidence beats competence, right? So we chatted about that and it's also incumbent, I think, on managers and on leaders to understand this fact and in those boardrooms to be able to call upon people who seem to be quiet, right? I think a lot of introverts or people in those boardroom situations would love to share their thoughts and love to share their ideas, but they don't feel comfortable unless they're called upon. So if you are a leader or you are a manager, it's one of those examples of good leadership can really be kind of shutting up the guy who talks all the time and giving other people a chance to contribute. You'll be amazed what you can find out from around the room based on that kind of idea.
0: And especially in our current situation with having Zoom calls, Very, oh, I've yeah. had so many calls where the introverts actually go three or four times as introverted they just you know do not speak it it seems sometimes like you know some meetings can be very very awkward unless it's a good person chairing it and making sure that everyone's voices are heard have you discovered the same thing
1: yeah definitely zoom is one of those weird things because it's hard to interrupt each other right because there's this little slight delay and slight lag and so when you interrupt you feel bad about it more so than in an in-person setting and what that does unfortunately is that it allows a lot long monologues from people. (laughs) It allows people to talk and talk and talk and talk because people feel awkward interrupting. So I think video calling in general, there's a lot of etiquette and a lot of like strategy you have to put in place if you're going to be doing that long term. And I think as we start to move towards a theoretically more remote work type future, people are going to have to figure out how to run those meetings more effectively.
0: Yeah, completely, completely agree. Um, I kind of want to see a like hand up sort of feature. Maybe there is something like that and maybe I haven't even seen it. Um, but, you know, if somebody is busy on a monologue, it would be nice to click a button to say, hey, I, I have something to say, um, you know, in, a, in a such a way that, you know, it kind of keeps the flow of the meeting going without interrupting anyone. Is that a feature?
1: I think it is a feature for the big webinars. So Zoom's got all sorts of different right. modes. And so the big webinars, I think there is a feature. But for a normal Zoom call, I don't think that's the case. I uh, <laughs> see so you put the emoji up there. You can use emojis, of course. <laughs> 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 but I think I think this is, this is the learning we've gone through in this period is, is that video calls have been the same for a few years now. And maybe it's time for some new thinking. And perhaps there'll be new apps and new ideas in the future that, take some of this kind of social engineering and try and build it right into the app to actually make it work.
0: Absolutely. I just threw another clapping emoji <laughs> there. I'm having having the best time there, chat. Having the best time.
1: Anyway, going on to the second and the last idea for this book that we're gonna chat about today is this idea of how do we care for other people, right? And so it was a very strange thing to come up in a book that's mostly about probability and statistics and kind of psychological ideas, to think about a more emotional idea and and what the kind of the basis of it is. When we care for somebody, when we're trying to look after someone who's in a tough time and whatnot, instead of caring for their feelings, so what they're feeling in the moment, It's trying to care about their stories and care for their stories. So often, Chad, when we're in a down place and we feel depressed, we feel sad, the reason is because we're telling ourselves some story about what's happened to us. So something bad has happened to us and we're telling some story about it that is keeping us in that state, in that emotional state. And of course, you can, you can kind of fight the feelings. You can give the ice cream and, the, and the hold the hand and like give you the shoulder to cry on, all that good stuff. Yeah. But often being able to care for someone is helping them rewrite that narrative in a more empowering way. So be able to rewrite the narrative to say, okay, maybe this is a terrible thing that happened, but w- what could it lead to, right? Where is the redemption story? Yeah. Where could this go to if you saw this as a blessing rather than a curse? and so i thought there was a beautiful sentiment from the from a book that's very mathematical the idea that people's okay. stories matter so much and if you're able to care for someone's story and help them rewrite that that's even more effective than just simply caring for the emotion itself.
0: Yeah, you're completely right there, Barry. It seems like I didn't expect this kind of vantage point to come from this book when you described what it was about uh, initially. But it is an important one. I think often we are solution-based. I think often we yeah. jump to the quick fixes, the easy things. And the, the problem is, well, this person's depressed. How can What can I do? to get them out of that way. And, and obviously there are sometimes these very quick things to do. Um, but in the long term, you know, do they really fix anything? Not really. So I think this is a very, very positive message, uh, one that can empower people, one that can, um, I don't even equip people with tools to deal with future problems um, by changing their vantage point. And I think it's an important one. A lot of the work that we talk about on this podcast is self-angled. We talk about how to improve ourselves, how to get the best from ourselves, We don't really talk too much about, you know, getting the best out of others. And uh, I think that's also an important message um, that you can actually use the skills that you've kind of gained in your own introspection um, and actually, you know, mirror them out and, uh, you know, let the rest of the world uh, take benefit from them too.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things as well. When you sit with someone, you listen to them really attentively and in, in, in a present way. They will tell you their yep. story. They'll tell you the story that they're working with. Um, and so, again, it's another re- a reminder to sit and listen rather than problem solve, like you say. Like if you listen to someone for long enough, they will lay out the story they're telling themselves. And once you've heard the entire story and you've empathized with them, then you're able to try and help. Um, and so I think for everyone, I think everyone's going through tough times in this Corona period. I think we've all got examples yeah. of people who are losing their jobs and losing family members and are feeling very down because they're isolated potentially yeah. and whatnot. If you are in a position to help somebody by helping reframe their story, that is a very, very powerful way of giving them an actually empowering way to move forward from this. And so, yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Go and read the book. Go and read the book, people. It's great. And uh, the ideas in here will change the way you think um, and, yeah, I can't recommend it enough.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Barry. Um, I will add it to my long list of books <laughs> that I need to get to eventually. Um, but I do have all the very good intentions of getting there. Now, something I want to chat about this week is something that I don't know too much about. I'm going to preface it with that. I was in a few social circles, and this topic came up. And on the back of that, I I looked into it a little bit. I read a few articles. um, I I looked at some reviews. I'm talking about a film that has been released on Netflix, and it is called 365 Days. Now, it's a film that, according to Rotten Tomatoes, has 0% reviews. (laughs) If you look at some of the other rating agencies in terms of films, um, I've seen the highest rating that I can find, Barry, is 33%. But this film is on Netflix's top 10 list of most watched films. And there's so much for us to get into here. There there really is a plethora of topics to discuss on this one little tiny film. Um, But my very first question um, when I found out about this, because obviously I'm I'm curious, and I will watch this thing eventually, um, was, Barry, have you watched it?
1: Chad, it's a good story, actually. I, I was sitting on this couch here <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, um, minding my own business. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night, a very, very <laughs> random weekday night. And <laughs> I was going to Netflix because I wanted to watch something. And I was scrolling and scrolling. And it was one of those days, I don't know if you have these days, Chad, where nothing jumped yeah. out at me. I was scrolling and scrolling and scrolling Definitely. and scrolling. And I didn't feel like watching anything that was, was up. And so what I did was I went onto my phone and I just started Googling. I think I Googled Netflix top... Top movies or okay. top new movies or something. And this thing popped up, like you say, because okay. all the, the drama about it. And so I read the little plot description and uh, was intrigued. I'll, I'll say that. I was intrigued. Yep. And I decided, cool, what the hell? And so I put it on. And I ended up watching the whole thing, which is a good two-hour movie, I think. Okay. And I think why it's gotten such bad reviews is is very warranted because there's zero storyline in this thing, Chad. The, the plot is, <laughs> is weak at best. <laughs> But the reason it has right. got so popular in a sense and the reason that everyone's talking about it is because of its sexual content, which I think is very interesting right. to think about. <laughs> um, it's, it's in the kind yeah. of the vein of the Fifty Shades of Grey type type novels and the type movie. So yeah. anyone who's watched those sorts of movies, it's that, it's that kind of storyline where it's relying on kind of sensual uh, smut almost and kind of uh, sexual yeah. activity to carry the, 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 the mediocre acting and the mediocre storyline. <laughs> but it's one of those movies that for some reason – just grabbed everyone's attention, Chad.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, folks, uh, if this is not your thing, do tune off. We are going to (laughs) start talking about sex um, on Across the Pond, a first on this podcast, um, which is really, uh, yeah, quite interesting. But let's talk about it. It is one of those things that it's taken the world by storm. And, uh, I mean, in ways that I couldn't even imagine. Uh, One of the ways that I've heard this thing taking the world by storm is on the platform that we spoke about last week, TikTok. And uh, that there are teenagers, um, I'm assuming, you know, teenagers who are able to actually watch this content, um, (laughs) who are filming themselves reacting to the content. Um, And, you know, that in itself has kind of gone crazy on TikTok. I was looking at the kinds of numbers of posts, um, you know, that have this hashtag. And it's, it's insane. It's a huge, huge number of people who are filming themselves to reactions of, you know, all of these various sex scenes.
1: Yeah, it's been, it's been a phenomenon. And it's one of those pranks that people pull on each other. And that's kind of the idea of the meme, is that you get a friend right. of yours who is maybe very easily shocked or doesn't really watch this kind of stuff normally. You don't tell them much about what okay. they're going to watch. And then you film their reaction to what they're seeing on screen. And that's kind of the idea. Right. And so it's, it's a whole yeah. compilation of watching people just get shocked out of their minds as they see stuff go on screen. but. TikTok has got this amazing ability To cause this viral phenomenon To take a, a relatively yep. bad movie And make it, like you say One of the most watched things on Netflix um, And so it, it talks a lot about The impact that social media has And the impact that memes have Definitely. On popular culture these days Right? If you have like a crazy meme that goes viral You can turn something into that was nothing Into a huge success yep. It reminds me of the Old Town Road song By Lil Nas X Which was a song that yep. he wrote Entirely <laughs> because of memes Right? The way that he got that song to number one was that he created, I think, 30 or 40 original meme templates based on the song itself and with the sound and then kind of inception them into public culture and was able to turn it into a huge song, even though he had no real following at the time. And so it's another example of that, where TikTok has kind of pushed this movie right into the public arena. I would say,
0: yeah, so much so that they're, I believe, talking about a sequel, um, which is which is fascinating. Now, when I did say that I was going to watch it, Barry did just say, heads up, um, the the leading man is. Uh, astoundingly good looking so (laughs) your your partner's eyes are going to wonder um which i found really interesting and some of the some of the articles that i read um were actually talking about this dude who was i don't know based on a farm um a few years a few years ago he then you know his agent because i think he was doing a bit of modeling or something his agent got a call from a polish company that were putting together this production and he said heck why not all of a sudden he's on a plane And now I think the dude cannot walk the streets without having, you know, uh, tons of girls running after him. Um, It just is one of those crazy, crazy stories.
1: Yeah, a real rags to riches story. And he's he's this very, very good looking Italian man. Classical Italian with the jet black hair, the amazing body and whatnot. (laughs) And so he really has become a a firestorm online. I think his Instagram account, Chad, has gone berserk over the last little bit because of this movie. And I, I was joking with you offline saying that he wasn't cast because he's acting. Let's just put it that way.
0: <laughs> well, it's fascinating and I, I think anyone who hears about a story like this is, is kind of just intrigued I suppose to go and watch it. Now this is one of the interesting things in terms of the stats um, is that Netflix doesn't measure their, a, a view as watching through you know, a full thing. So if, if you just open it um, and you get to a point where you're like, actually this is really not good and you close it, that equally counts as a full view. Um, so, you know, you don't have to get to a certain percentage of the movie or anything like that. So that is really fascinating in terms of judging the metrics of this. But in my mind, I do feel like a majority of people are watching all the way through. Um, potentially they're enjoying the, the, the visuals. Barry, you did say that it's quite cinematic, um, certainly in terms of the camera <laughs> angles and the, and the visuals. Um, obviously, you know that I, I enjoy good film and I enjoy that kind of cinematic feel. Um, so maybe that is drawing people to uh, to watch a bit more, but Also, there's this other kind of under narrative that I'd like to talk about. And that is, you know, since Fifty Shades of Grey, I guess the word sex is becoming a lot less taboo um, to to talk about. And maybe a lot more people are are feeling more comfortable to watch this kind of stuff um, at home on a mainstream streaming service.
1: Yeah, you certainly wouldn't have seen this kind of film being shown say 20 years ago right the the, the kind of yeah. sensitivities has really changed and it's it's because of things like 50 shades of gray which brought this like BDSM type world into almost the mainstream I wouldn't say it's mainstream but yeah. into the public eye and uh, talking about sex in this way is is like you say quite a quite a change for society in general I think in European culture it's a lot more open than say a more traditional say American type Hollywood setting uh, like you say this movie is Polish and so I think the sensitivities are a little little bit different there. I think that's why it shocks, say, American audiences and maybe even British audiences. Yeah. And so I think that's another reason why it's kind of got this little bit of, of hype around it. Um, it really is a beautifully shot film. Uh, it, it, it's 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 very well done, and it kind of made me appreciate the fact that maybe I'm not watching enough foreign cinema. Maybe there's lots of cool foreign right. cinema that I don't know about. And this was one example where the, the storyline maybe isn't there, but the actual the cinematography and, and the way it's shot is is really cool. Um, and so it is a very strange one because. It's bringing up all these semi-taboo topics in a way that is artistically interesting, but at the same time there's very mm. little character development underlying the, the plots. And so it's not your traditional bad movie, Chad. It's not one of those movies that are so bad that it's good, in, in, in a way. Like, it still looks like gotcha. a very professional Hollywood-type production, but unfortunately the story doesn't carry that. It's simply the, the, the sex scenes, to be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating. It really is fascinating. And obviously, you've got loads of people enjoying this and loving this type of movie movie getting all of their friends and yeah, I suppose family to watch as well, um, which does sound a bit strange. Um, but then obviously you do get the the critics ultimately. And when we talk about Rotten Tomatoes and various other critics, we, we're talking about critics. Um, so it really is interesting where you know you do have the viewership because people obviously like it. Um, but the fact that you know, it's not getting those ratings. It's really, really such an interesting kind of debate. Just in terms of those those sex scenes and in terms of the plot, let's chat a little bit about it because there's also been an unwinding kind of debate here. Um, And what that plot is from what I've read is a guy essentially who kidnaps a lady for... 365 days and he gives her the option of falling in love with him over that period of time or otherwise he will let her free um so ultimately it's it's kidnap right and ultimately a whole bunch of people that I've kind of read reviews on say that it might be kind of glorifying rape culture glorifying this uh, idea of Stockholm syndrome which I've I've kind of brand new syndrome to me um, which apparently is that based on I guess just human attributes um, a lot of people end up falling in love with people who end up kind of kidnapping them which is which is crazy Um, and so I guess there's obviously all of these important messages important topics to discuss do you think it's doing any one of those two things Barry or do you think some people are kind of stretching a little bit too far um, on those kinds of opinions?
1: It's a standard debate with this sort of art when they take these topics that are obviously bad, right? So the way that he kind of yep. kidnaps this woman and and, and there's, there's some like yep. almost rape scenes in a way. So those are quite shocking okay. to people when they watch. And then the Stockholm Syndrome, like you say, when you I don't want to give it too much away, but as you watch the movie progress, right. you see how her feelings change over time. It's a typical example of Stockholm Syndrome. And so obviously these are things we condemn in, in a very strong sense of the word. And so that's yep. what makes this art so shocking. But at the same time, this idea that it's glorifying this, I don't think it's the case. I think that it's very clear from the direction and kind of the way the story turns out that you don't actually end up rooting for these characters. At the end, you feel very uneasy about what's happened. And I think that's the right kind of feeling to have. And that's what art tries to do. Art tries to take these taboo topics and kind of deal with them and look at them through the eyes of characters and try and get a sense as to what's going on. I don't think it would serve us as a society to kind of, put a, uh, put away these sorts of, of topics because we feel like it glorifies things. Yep. I mean, if you think about all the video games where you're shooting people, Chad, like all the, the first-person yep, shooters yep. and the war games and whatnot, sure. there's, a, there's always an argument that it's glorifying violence. But at the same time, like... Art is supposed to be able to go into those areas of society that we don't normally talk about, and so I'm all for movies and films and books and all sorts of try and tackle these topics. I don't think it's worth us trying to shove it into the darkness because then that's when it lurks, rather than bring it onto the light and examining it for what it is.
0: Yeah, it's a completely, completely balanced argument, that Barry, and I think it's an important, um, just discussion to have. Um, but obviously, we have been seeing kind of an increase in violence against women especially on your side of the pond especially in South Africa and I've seen in some of these articles people talk about um, these these kind of girls who watch this film saying that you know they wouldn't mind being kidnapped by this particular dude now I don't know if that's being said in in vain I don't know if they're saying that as a joke because like you said he is an attractive guy Um, but those kinds of comments are really quite worrying for me to to hear.
1: Yeah, Chad, I think it's it's similar to the response that we saw after the Fifty Shades of Grey went completely viral, right? And all these women came out yep. of the woodwork and were starting to say things and, and whatnot. And they were caught up in the romance and kind of the storytelling. Um, I don't think I don't think it's a realistic thing to worry about. It's very clear in this movie that you don't want to be this main character. You don't want to be yep. that woman. Um, I don't think there's any room for debate. It's, it's not a very nuanced sense of who that villain actually is. It's very, very clear as yep. to what's going on. And uh, like I say... I find it very difficult to believe that someone could watch this movie and come out the other end and want to be that woman. I, I for, for in my in my mind, in my personal experience, I, I didn't find that. I think, as always, art is can be interpreted a thousand different ways, right? So you can't yep. kind of censor that art. Everyone's gonna take from it what they want. And if it if it brings more liberation in, kind of in a sexual sense and brings some taboo topics into the light, I think that's a good thing in the long term. Of course, you're gonna have people who look at this as some sort of example and want to kind of try some of these things and maybe that's a good thing, maybe yep. it's a bad thing, I don't know. But the idea that you're gonna stop movies like this because it's glorifying this sort of behavior it's it's very paternalistic. It's kinda of saying that you aren't capable as a viewer of judging whether this is a good idea for you or not. I'd much rather have a free free society where art can can like play in all these different areas and then you as a viewer can take from it what you will a lot of people are going to be yeah. very offended by this movie. A lot of people are going to be triggered by it. So they're going to have very strong emotions and, and, and that's natural for this sort of stuff. And so I think as long as you're taking it with an open mind and you're kind of looking at it in your own personal experience and understanding this is just a piece of fiction. It really is nothing more than that. Then hopefully you won't find yourself in those kind of difficult debates, I don't think, Chad.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. and uh, yeah, Fascinating, fascinating discussion. I hope you enjoyed us talking about it tonight. Um, I, I certainly know we went to areas of the podcast we never thought we would go Um, (laughs) but now that we have um, yeah I mean we can kind of carry on with our normal stuff shall we move on to our next segment Barry let's do it Chad develop and grow
1: Chad we chatted about the fact that my day today has been very <laughs> unproductive. And one of the reasons for that was I found myself caught up in this long YouTube video by a guy called Rob Bell. Okay. And so while I had lots of other important stuff I should have been doing, I was watching this video called An Introduction to Joy. Now, Rob Bell is a pastor, and but more, more in my sense, a thinker and a philosopher, more so than a pastor, I would say. Okay. Um, and I've been following his work for a long time. I find him very inspirational. I think he's a, he's a really interesting thinker and he talks in a way that's very engaging and kind of makes you think about the bigger questions in life. And joy is one of those questions. Okay. Joy is one of those things that we all desire, we all really want really badly and that's kind of a mark of a really meaningful, purposeful life. And we chatted a little bit in the sure. past, chat about how it's very different from happiness, right? We chatted about the fact that happiness is probably... I don't know, that piece of chocolate cake that you eat. And instantaneously, you feel that that pleasure and that happiness, but it fades very, very quickly. Whereas joy is yep. more meaningful and more long-term. And so this talk was trying to look at the idea of joy. And I found it very potent and very powerful in this moment right now, where a lot of people around the world haven't had much joy in the last couple of months.
0: Yeah, I think you're completely right, Barry. I think a lot of people are, have just been in survival mode, been trying to keep their head above water, trying to just swim it out. Um, but on, on the other hand, I have heard a lot of people being really happy, finding this kind of, with all of this extra time, I'm hearing people who I've never heard uh, say that they've been exercising are now all of a sudden, you know, going on a daily walk, going on a daily run, doing their exercise. People are, you know, being able to spend time with family and friends. People are just feeling, I guess, a little bit freer, um, feeling a bit more trusted by their workplaces because they can manage their time themselves, you know, at home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think you're right, Barry. I think it has taken a bit of time for us to all assess ourselves and, and try to find that in a bit of joy.
1: Yeah, it's an important point about reframing what's happened and reframing in a positive way. And that kind of talks to yep. what this talk is, is is going on about, is how do we reframe things that are happening in our lives in a, in a way that's empowering for yep. us. And he, he talks about this amazing story of when he was very lucky to be present at, I think it was a breakfast or a lunch, where there was the Dalai Lama and Bishop Desmond Tutu in one room. And he tells this okay. story about how he was standing there and the, and the two guys went to meet. And obviously they're two very, very distinguished people with like huge, like kind of spiritual uh, followings and, yeah. and very, very important people in our world today. They have seen it all, right? Those are the kind of people that see the worst of humanity. They see all the suffering. They hear all the stories because they are so desperate. People are so desperate for help from these, from these guys. And so yeah. he was saying that when he saw them come together, he was expecting some very deep, profound kind of engagement, some very like deep, like dark conversation about humanity, about the future of the world, et cetera, et cetera. And he tells this amazing story of how when they came together, Chad, they went in for a hug and then started tickling each other in the middle of this breakfast, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. right? And so he was chatting about the fact that how can they be so light? How can they be so kind of yep. free in, in a world where they see the very worst? They see people in suffering. They see people all around the world who are really struggling. And he kind of laid out this, this framework that I thought was interesting. This idea that there's this there's this place of lightness which might come from ignorance or naivety, right? If you think that nothing can ever go wrong, especially for a, for a kid who's yeah. never gone through difficult times, the world is your oyster, right? Everything, if your parents are, are there and kind of in decent household, you have sure. this very light life where everything just works and everything is good for you. And you have that naivety about it. And you can stay there your whole life if you want. You can ignore what goes wrong in the world and kind of live in your own bubble. And that's yeah. one sort of lightness, but it's very fake almost. Then there's this this, this mode of darkness where if you actually engage with the world and you actually try things you realize that things don't go to plan, right? And unfortunately we all go through those seasons in life where we get our hearts broken or people die around us or we have those moments of doubt or existential dread or depression and all these difficult curveballs that life throws at you and there's that heaviness that Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama have seen so much of around the world and that's where he was expecting them to kind of converse and really like integrate together when when they came to meet each other But he says, if you are able to push through that heaviness into the lightness on the other side, that's what these guys were able to find. And the reason they're able to find lightness through that heaviness is because they realize that life is so fragile. All that suffering and all those bad things that happen to us, it just shows us how fragile everything is. I think coronavirus is a good example. Our life is so fragile. And so because it's so fragile... We have to enjoy it. We have to enjoy it while it's good. Right? Yep. So at that breakfast, yep. there was life. There was goodness. There was food on the table. Like There was a lot to be grateful for. And so they were able in that moment to be light with each other. And I thought this was an interesting framework because he says that cynics or kind of pessimistic people will dip their toe into the heaviness in the middle. And then they will kind of write off the whole world as heavy. Right. Whereas true right. joyful people are able to walk through the heaviness, empathize with what's going on, but get to the other side and realize that we're all going to die, life is short, life is fragile, mm-hmm. so we might as well enjoy the simple pleasures. We might as well find joy in the very simplest of things, in seeing a flower, in talking to a friend, in, mm-hmm. in seeing your parents, etc., And it really spoke to me in in this moment where everything has kind of been thrown out the window. All of our plans for 2020 are thrown out the window. And instead of sitting in that heaviness, if you can just like realize that I have life in my bones, I have a house. If you're listening to this, you have internet, you have electricity, you've you've got some sort of functionality to listen to this podcast wherever you are in the world. There is joy to be found in that. And so joy is lowering that bar. It's not about winning a marathon is not about being the ceo it's not about some sort of accomplishment or achievement joy is the everyday moments that you get to that you get to live out when you're not in that heavy space
0: yeah i think that's fantastic i think it's really cool and when you talk about the idea of what constitutes a pessimist and what constitutes um, an optimist i would almost think that they're the opposite i would almost think that an optimist is the kind of Pollyanna who is, you know, dipping their toe um, and, and kind of just choosing to ignore the rest of, of everything else. Um, but it's quite refreshing that uh, the optimist there actually have gone through you know, the absolute intense uh, darkness of darkness and have come through the other side, have been able to get some perspective, been able to just be grateful uh, for being alive. And I think for me, this is where the importance of, of journaling comes in, Barry, because uh, I woke up this morning as well and uh, just to an amazing, bright sunshine outside. I, I had to kind of just sit down, take up my journal and, and just talk about why I was you know so pleased so so grateful for for where I'm at at the moment also had a whole bunch of different discussions with friends yesterday about you know the Middle East and and all of the various conflicts that happening you know in that side and sometimes we really do make very very silly trivial things Um, massive massive mountains it almost feels like there is this I don't know Blocking blockage in front of us that we can't see through. Um, where you know, it's those optimists who actually are able to work through it, are able to actually look at the wider context, look at what's happening everywhere, and, uh, and just like you say, be very grateful for every single little day. Um, I also yesterday was walking down Oxford Street and saw this dude coming down Oxford Street at a massive, massive speed, wheeling. Um, <laughs> just completely unnecessarily, um, on this incredibly, incredibly heavy motorbike putting, I don't know how many people's lives at risk really. Cause you know how busy Oxford street is, even yeah. in AC after coronavirus time. <laughs> um, but, but honestly in that very moment, I know it sounds like I'm kind of not talking about the same topic in that moment. I really just, I got angry because for me, he clearly, you know, is not understanding um, you know how grateful we should be about this life that is fragile, that is precious, um, that we should be be grateful for. And yes, we must have a good time. We must do all of that stuff. But we must do it responsibly. I feel um, we must we must appreciate the the, the precious life that we have. Um, and that idea of them coming together and just. Tickling each other, um, it it just it's one of those positive messages that that really just makes you feel good, um, and and ultimately something that we need to, to to get beyond. I don't know about you, Barry, but I find myself in these kind of circles uh, when you meet a new group of friends, and maybe it's just me, but with the guys, there's just this ego thing that ultimately um, is a massive barrier for me to you know get to actually just enjoying each other's company. Um, And I just wish that that never existed.
1: That's why I like the term lightness, like the idea that you can be light with yourself, yep. and uh, understanding that life is fragile, and understanding that, cool, we we know what's the worst that can happen. We've all been through those moments of darkness, so we understand what it could look like. And so, if if you are doing okay right now, if you're in a good place, like to actually enjoy that and to be grateful for that is really a blessing, and that's that's where joy comes yep. from. And that lightness that you say is not taking yourself so seriously, right? You get rid of the ego, <laughs> get rid of the pride. It doesn't matter. It literally, doesn't matter. What matters is being present in the moment and enjoying whatever you're going through at the time rather than trying to play status games with each other trying to be the alpha male in the group trying to look out and trying to be better than other people at the end of the day life is so short and it kind of falls through our fingertips and if any time we're spent worrying about what other people think worrying about our status in a group worrying about like unnecessary things is time we aren't spending in joy on spending and looking after for ourselves, right? And that's why I found this so beautiful. Is because this is not positive thinking. It's not the idea that I'm just gonna imagine yep. and think that everything is good and nothing ever bad could happen to me, and I'm gonna think positively, everything's gonna be okay. Yep. It's exactly the opposite. It's understanding that life is gonna throw you some horrible times. It's gonna throw you some terrible, terrible things you're gonna have to go through. But once you're through the other side of those seasons in your life you're able to see and really be grateful for the small things in in life that actually matter. And I think that's a reminder for all of us who's gone through a difficult time in this corona period that the light is at the end of the tunnel. And when you get there, when you're able to get back to normal life, don't let it go to waste. Don't kind of take it for granted. Mm. That journaling is a great mm. example of not taking something for granted and writing down why that sunshine is so powerful and so valuable in your life. And uh, I I think it's a really cool thing to go and watch for anyone who's in a dark period right now.
0: Amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, I've not spent an hour watching a complete solid YouTube video, but anyone who's watching our <laughs> podcast has and does it every week. Um, so if you've got an extra hour to spare, if the, you know, there's extra time that you need to fulfill it definitely sounds like a useful place to to put it um and yeah thanks barry for for you know doing that hours watch um and bringing us this wonderful wonderful little nugget um to close off our episode on a lovely positive note
1: of course, Chad. It, it really brought me a lot of joy itself. And this podcast brings me joy. Like I really am grateful for the idea yep. that we can sit every week and talk about the things that we are passionate about. I was laughing with a friend That's of mine right. the other day saying that these these conversations are very hard to have in normal kind of briar situations, right? <laughs> and so I really value this time to be able to sit and talk about the stuff that I get very nerdy about and yep. very passionate about that uh, doesn't have a home elsewhere. And so it's finding those pockets yep. of time and pockets of opportunity to really lean into what makes you weird, what makes you happy, people, what makes you passionate about something and uh, so yeah, I'm grateful for this time Chad, so thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, thank you Barry and me as well, and I mean I guess if you, if you look at kind of just the metrics, if you look at what this podcast is, is doing in terms of the number of years that it's listening to, the kind of performance maybe it's not quite where we would have liked it to be at this stage, but we are not stopping, um, purely because of the passion that we have for chatting to each other about these interesting, important topics and also just kind of the passion for me of marking a stamp in time Kind of etching our names in a period of time where we can forever go back and listen to these, you know, 37 weeks worth of conversations um, that we've had to each other, which I just found absolutely fantastic.
1: Yeah, it's exactly what we've been chatting about, right? We have to get our, over our own egos about the numbers of viewers yep. or numbers of listeners. And it's exactly that same idea of that's not what matters at the end of the day. What matters at the end of the day, like you say, is is the being present in these conversations and getting as much value as possible. Two random oaks from across the pond, like miles and miles <laughs> apart, are able to yep. connect over the internet and, and talk about things that we really love. And that is really powerful. So regardless of who listens or who watches, um, I'm grateful for yep. those, these moments and that's the message of this thing is that the numbers aren't what matters right your status how many people like admire you your follow account your instagram likes none of that matters right at the end of the day it comes down to are you spending your time in a way that you're going to look back on in your old age and really value that time or are you playing someone else's game someone else's agenda
0: Absolutely, Barry, and it's such an important message, a powerful message, and hopefully every single person listening kind of takes that away um, from this podcast and ultimately fills it in their life. AC um, as we (laughs) return back to normal hopefully we don't get caught up by all of those bad things again please please do hit a little follow if you are on Instagram hit a little follow on our Instagram page it is at across the podcast it's the most interactive place that you can be to get the full experience of our podcast and uh, ultimately we want to connect with everyone as much as possible thanks again for listening and this was episode 37 we'll see you next week
1: Across the pond with Barry and Chad